Hello, this is Pastor Marty Macedo from Fellow Helpers Ministries bringing you another podcast from the Pastor Study, Biblical Lessons from the Battlefield of Life by a retired pastor of 45 years who was saved after serving as a Staff Sergeant Airborne Ranger in Vietnam. My testimony is shared in podcast number one. It is my desire to share with you lessons the Lord has taught me over my years of living as a Christian and serving as a pastor. These podcasts are intended to whet your appetite and for further personal Bible study. They'll be short, 20 to 30 minutes, and having your Bible and something to jot down notes might be helpful. If you have any questions, you can contact me by email. My email address is masitofhm for Fellow Helpers Ministries, M-A-S-I-T-T-O-F-H-M at gmail.com. The title of our Bible study today is The Second Coming Servant, His Church from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-10. through 10. How important is church for the believer today? Statistics would say, not very important, as attendance figures decrease and church closings increase. However, what does the scripture say? Well, let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and find out. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we read, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering, verse 3, without ceasing your work of faith, and labor of love, and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For your, our gospel came not unto you in word only, verse 5, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all to believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves, verse 9, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the second coming servant, his church. Let's pray. Father, help us to have quieted spirits as we listen to your word now. Let the scripture speak for itself. Let me just be an instrument in helping us understand it. And most importantly, give us all a sweet spirit to be able to apply it in the way you'd have us apply it. You know our needs. You know where we need encouragement. You know where we need correction. You know where we need, Father, the instruction to be able to do those things that will help us spiritually. And we pray that while we spend this time in study now, you would do what's needed in our life and heart. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you remember a few weeks back, and it has to be a few weeks because my wife and I actually have just gone through covid and I'm very thankful to report that I was able to get through it without having to go to the hospital. 
Um, I did have to get an antibody infusion on an outpatient basis, which gave me a jump start and helped me recover. And I'm still in the process to some degree, but I'm doing much, much better than I was. My wife got it before me, and it was hers was shorter lived, but then mine was back to that, and uh, thankfully we're both back on track again. So I've missed two or three weeks now doing the podcast. But if we go back to our study when we started it in First Thessalonians, you remember there were three key things that we looked in the way of introduction. The first thing we looked at was the Church of Thessalonica was a hurting church. In every one of the five chapters, there's reference to their hurt. For example, in chapter 1, verse 16, affliction. Chapter 2, verse 14, suffer tribulation. Chapter 3, verse 4, suffer tribulation. Chapter 4, verse 13, sorrow. And chapter 5, 11, comfort. But not only was it a hurting church, it was also a happy church. And all five chapters bring that out. Chapter 1, verse 6, joy. 2, 20, joy. 3, 9, joy. 4, 13 to 18, joy. And 5, 16, joy. And the reason that the hurting church could be a happy church is because it was a hopeful church. And the hopefulness comes from each of the five chapters also. Everyone ends with the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. For example, we just read it in the first chapter, verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, verse 19, we read, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You'll notice in chapter 3, in verse 13, it says this, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, a great description of that coming with the saints to receive the saints on earth, to ever be with the Lord and, and to be with him, meet him in the air and ever be with him. And then in chapter 5, in verse 23, again, we see the same thing, the promise of the second coming, and the very God of peace, 523, sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, with the idea that this church at Thessalonica, which the Apostle Paul was at less than a month, was a hurting church, yet it was also a happy church because it was a hopeful church, it was looking for the return and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, we titled the series in 1 Thessalonians, The Second Coming Servant. What do we learn about the second coming servant in these five chapters that are before us? Well, we're going to look at the first chapter, as we already read, and we're going to see, first of all, his church, his church. Now, let me give you an illustration to understand this, first of all. When I was back in Marysville, Ohio, a number of years ago, I was pastoring the church and principally in the school, and there were a lot of political issues that were taking place, and people were trying to close Christian schools, and you know things of that nature were going on, and, and uh, it was just not a very easy time to go through, but the Lord is gracious and got us through those days. But I remember one day being in my study and seeing a man pull up in a black car. It was like a Lincoln Continental. And he got out, and he had on a black suit, and he looked really sharp, and he looked very official, and he headed to the door of the church. And when I looked at him, I thought, 
oh no, there's trouble here. Something's not right. Thought maybe he was from the IRS or maybe from some other government agency and we were going to be questioned about something and I didn't know where that would lead. Well, I tried to be cool and cautious and he came into the foyer and I met him there and he introduced himself and what he said really surprised me. He said, I'm a businessman and I'm open for a promotion and the promotion would bring me here to Marysville, but I don't want to consider that job or that promotion until I first know there is a church that I can tend and a school that I can have my boys in that will be true to the word of God. Wow, that was wonderful. This man recognized it wasn't the increased income he would get. It wasn't the bigger house he'd be able to buy. It wasn't all the other benefits that were going to be added to him. His main concern was, as a Christian looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ, is there a church here where I can bring my family and a school where I can have my children? That's not the only situation. That's happened other times. When I was in Florida, I had a man from the New England states who came and met with me a number of times before I moved this family, wanting to make sure there was a church and school that would be safe for them. Why? Because they recognized the importance of a good local church in the life of a Christian in order for them to stay faithful to God and grow in the Lord. And that's not something conjured up by man. That's taught right here in 1 Thessalonians. The second coming servant, what's the first thing God emphasizes? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, you need to be involved in a good local church. Now, as we think about that and go into this passage of Scripture, you remember, of course, Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 22 through 25. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So God wants us to draw near to him. Verse 22, chapter 10 of Hebrews. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He that is faithful, excuse me, for he is faithful that promised. So not only do we draw near as a Christian to God, but we also hold fast as a Christian to God. And verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So we're challenged in three things here. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. And then the answer, how do we do that? For a Christian, it's found in Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What is that day? First Thessalonians, all five chapters, the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. And our church has a very important part in helping us be ready for his coming. So when we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and we see these 10 verses, we see that God has actually given us here a checklist. As we think about the local church, what do we see in the local church that we should be attracted to? What is the checklist? In other words, when that man came to me in Marysville, when that man came to me in Florida, uh, what was he looking for? What did he need to see in order to know this was a place where his family could come and his family could be raised for the Lord, encouraged in the Lord? 
Well, I believe as we go through this passage, we can easily outline seven things that we can consider a checklist as we're looking at the local church for the second coming believer. First of all is this. Notice, if you would, in verse 1, the second coming servant, a church of saved people. A church of saved people. We'll see this in verse 1 and also in verse 4. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, knowing brethren, those who are believers, beloved, your election of God. Many churches today, sad to say, are churches that are made up of people that aren't saved. They're coming to the church because it's like a social activity for them. They like it. It, you know, it's a moral thing to do, and and they like the activities and the surroundings they can have their children in and such, but they don't really have a personal relationship with God. They've never made a personal decision to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now the people of Thessalonica as you take a look at this first characteristic about the local church for a second coming servant, emphasizes that it needs to be a church of saved people. They need to be in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just know about God and know about the Lord Jesus Christ, but they need to be in God and the Lord Jesus Christ by having received him as their personal savior. I think a passage of scripture that summarizes this rather well is in uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. I love this passage. I remember as a new Christian when I first discovered it, and it was such a joy to me. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. It's important for us to be saved ourselves in God and in Christ. And it's important for us to be involved in a church of saved people, people that are called out because they're Christians and they're saved and they're looking for that coming and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with him. They're reassured of that relationship with him, and that binds them together in their worship in that local church. Now you say, Pastor Mesito, you sound a little bit vexed about that. Well, I actually, I am a little bit vexed about that because I've noticed in, in days that we're living in now, there are many people that are just kind of going along with the church and kind of going along with the social activity of the church, but they're not really building a relationship with Jesus Christ through salvation. I think of an illustration here where a pastor who was retired and another pastor who had taken over that ministry uh, was all excited. The younger pastor was all excited talking to the older pastor about this family that started coming to the church and they were going to become members of the church. And the older pastor had seen this family and had talked to them and, and it was a big concern for them actually. They were great people. They came across very good, and they, they were getting involved in things even before they became members. And, and again, the pastor looked at it as a real plus for his ministry. 
And as the young pastor went on about all these different activities and things and plans they were going to do and whatever, the older pastor said, uh, you know, I have one question for you. And the younger pastor said, what's that? He said, are they saved? And there was silence. There was just silence. The truth of the matter was this young couple, yes, they were getting involved in this young couple. Yes, they were going to be an asset and activities and adventures and things of that nature and whatever. But this young couple had not really given a testimony of having truly repented of their sin and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, they were good people. They weren't bad people, and he wasn't going to let bad people come in and do bad things in the church, but, but they were kind of going along with it rather than having come to a personal decision to trust Christ as their Savior. If you want to be in the right kind of church, the right kind of church like Thessalonica you have to start out by being in a church of saved people. The second thing in the way of the checklist for this church is found in verses two through four. The second coming servant, a church of serving people. Look at verse two. We give thanks to God always for you all, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. When you look at this verse, what do you see? You see a group of serving people. They're not just saved, but they're actually serving. They're not sitting and soaking and souring. Uh, they are not uh, in a situation where they are just saying, well, we believe in God, we believe we should, should be doing something, but we're just going to sit back and watch it be done. These people give three characteristics here in our verse that I think are very important. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, I see your work of faith. Number two, I see your labor of love. And number three, I see your patience of hope. Work, we all understand what that is, don't we? And then the idea of labor, we understand what that is. These are things that cause us to experience spend energy, cause us to work up a sweat, cause us to get tired. These people were laborers. They were workers. And in the same time, in the Christian work especially, we need to be patient as we're working and laboring because we don't always see the results right away. We might start teaching that Sunday school class and think, oh, this is great. We're going to see kids saved next week. And it may take weeks or months before that happens. We may get involved in a ministry and say, oh, we're going to see the ministry double in no time. And it may take years for that ministry to even begin to grow. Uh, the idea of working of faith and the idea of labor of love is wonderful and needs to be mixed with the patience of hope. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. Do you remember that? It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we work and we labor, but we also exercise patience, knowing God is going to do what he's going to do in his time frame, not necessarily our time frame. So the second coming servant, what's the first thing on the checklist for the church? It is a church of saved people. They are in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, what do we see? There are churches serving people. They're not just sitting back, soaking, souring. They are actually doing what? A work of faith, a labor of love, and they're waiting patiently on the Lord. Now, what's the third characteristic or 
character on our checklist. The second coming servant, as we look at verse 5, is a church of sincere people. Second coming servant, verse 5, a church of sincere people. Look at our look how it's worded for us. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Many churches of saved and serving people are not really sincere. They're just kind of going along with the flow. They're just kind of hearing the word, but not really taking it seriously. But the church of Thessalonica, and the church that we should be a part of, is a church of sincere people. They, uh, It says, our gospel came not to you in word only. It wasn't just people saying things, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. There was a work of God taking place. You see, the idea of sincere means free from pretense or deceit. It's the idea of being genuine. And I'm certain we can all think in our own mind right at this moment about some churches that have not really been sincere and genuine. And then we can also think about churches that are very sincere and genuine. The church of Thessalonica for the second coming servant was a church made up of sincere people. They not only heard the word, but they mixed it with a power and in the Holy Ghost and much assurance and stepped forward doing what God wanted them to do. So we've got the saved people, verse 1 and 4, the serving people, verses 2 through 4, the sincere people in verse 5. What do we see next? Well, it's something that maybe not is the most pleasant, but it is a characteristic of a true local church, and that is the second coming servant, a church of suffering people. Suffering people. The idea of suffer means to, um, a state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. How do we see that outlined? We'll look at verse 6 and 7. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. What a blessing. Having received the word, that's a blessing, but it was received in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, we covered this in our first session on 1 Thessalonians. You go back to the book of Acts, and you remember the persecution that came, that the Apostle Paul was only three Sundays in Thessalonica, or three Sabbaths, and then he had to leave. And then there was hardship that took place. In fact, chapter 4 seems to imply that hardship. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, kind of implies maybe that hardship even led to the death of some of the people that become believers. We'll see that when we get to chapter 4. But again, it was it was hard. It was difficult. There was affliction. Uh, there was there was pain. There was distress. There was hardship, and that was a characteristic of a second coming servant's church, who was doing a genuine, sincere work of serving the Lord. Save people, serving people, sincere people. But it wasn't always easy. There was also suffering that took place in it. What comforts me when I see that type of suffering outlined in Scripture or when I've experienced it myself in my own life is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says this about suffering. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently, 
But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. There we have the idea of suffering, the biblical type of suffering, of a good church that's upholding the word of God and that is misunderstood and maligned or whatever else might come along the way, but they're still doing what? They're still going to keep serving, they're still going to keep sincere, and they're going to trust the Lord to help them through their suffering, whether it be pain, distress, or hardship. Now, if it's a self-inflicted suffering of sin, it needs to be confessed and repented of, and God will restore. But a lot of times, suffering isn't self-inflicted. It just comes through the course of life because of our serving the Lord. The next thing we notice about the church of Thessalonica, which I would mark out as our fifth point for us today, is found in verse 8. The second coming servant, a church of sounding out people. The second coming servant on the checklist needs to be part of a church of sounding out people. Here's what we read in verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. This was the kind of church that understood the responsibility of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20, where it says, And the Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And then also check Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is the concept. The church understood their responsibility to be a sounding out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how can I best describe sounding out? Well, again, going back to when we lived in Marysville, which is a number of years ago, we lived on Main Street, Marysville, and oftentimes we'd walk from our house to the center of town. It was kind of a nice little outing with the children. They enjoyed it, we enjoyed it, and we'd just walk there and walk back. And as we walked from our home to downtown Marysville, small town, we went over a bridge. And whenever we went over that bridge, we had to stop. If you remember, I have seven children, and they were young at that point, and the young children love to do what when they see water? Throw rocks in the water and watch the ripples go out from where it lands. And that's exactly what we'd have to do. We'd stop at the bridge, and away in the town, stop at the bridge, way back from town, and they would see if they could get the biggest rock and could make the biggest splash and see the biggest circles go out from that splash. That's the idea of sounding out. And the church of Thessalonica, the second coming servant's church, was a church that was not just internal and keeping the gospel within the walls of that church, but they were a church that was taking seriously Matthew 28, which we read, and Acts chapter 1, which we read, and they were sounding out the gospel. And how well were they doing that? Look carefully at verse 8. They said, from, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only Macedonia and Cai, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Now, let me give you an illustration here. Just a second coming servant's church 
ought to be the kind of church where in their community there's no need for a missionary. There, there's no need for someone to be sent into that community to share the gospel because that second coming servant's church is sharing that gospel so that we need not to speak anything. Is your church like that? The church becomes like that because you're like that. As we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're like the stones. Some of us little pebble stones, some of us bigger rock stones. But as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are sounding out the word of God. For from you sounded out the word of God. And as we give our testimony and witness and our tracts and invitations and whatever, we're sounding out the word of God. And that's a good characteristic of a second coming servant's church. We'll notice next. Point number six, and that is this. The second coming servant, a church of separated people. Now, if you've been in Christianity very long, you'll recognize that the word separation has been a strong word, at least in the past generation, and it's a word that's kind of shunned today. And I'm sorry about that because I think there's been a misunderstanding about separation, and maybe even it was presented a generation or two ago in the wrong way. Separation means to be set apart, and separation for a Christian is to be set apart for God, not to be worldly, but to be holy. But notice verse 9, the second coming servant, his church is a church of separated people, but notice how it's worded. Verse 9 says this, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Do you notice the formula there? Turned to God, there's the positive, from idols, there's the negative, to serve the living and true God. First, turn people to God. Bring them to repentance. Shore them up in their faith. And the next thing you know, you'll see they've turned from the idols. My wife and I were saved in the early 70s, and as you heard my testimony along the way, I was an airborne ranger in Vietnam. I was Italian. My wife was an x-ray technician for a Catholic family, and uh, we had all kinds of things in our life that were worldly. We graduated from high school in 1967. Uh, we were um, married in 1969, and there's just a lot going on in those 60s, as you well know. But when we came to know Christ as our personal Savior and we were in a good church that was teaching the Word of God consistently in every service, we found ourselves actually turning to God. And then we look back and realize we turned from idols. Now, to give you an illustration of this, I mean, back then you didn't go to the movies as a Christian. Nobody came to us and said, you can't go to the movies. Truth of the matter was, we were so busy going to church and learning the word and being involved in the church, we didn't go to movies because we didn't have time. We didn't care. It didn't mean anything to us anymore. There were other things I could put in that list too, and some of you saved back then can do that also. And the, and the beauty was, we were in a church that turned us to God from idols to serve the living true God. But somehow, in many churches or in many people's lives, separation got reversed. The idea of separation was to turn from the idols, turn from the idols, turn from the idols. And, and there was just, people just got beat on in regard to that. And many people just rejected it and walked away. 
That's sad, isn't it? That's not the biblical concept of separation. This is the biblical concept of separation. The church of Thessalonica was a church that turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And our separation needs to be like that today. Oh, let's just flood our minds. Let's just flood our hearts. Let's just flood our lives with the truths of God's word. And before we know it, we find we've turned from those idols. They no longer attract us. They no longer are a desire of ours. They no longer have any place in our life. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So we have six points so far. The Second Coming Servants Church, a church of saved people, a church of serving people, works and labor and patience of hope, a church of sincere people. They took not only the word, but it came in power and in the Holy Ghost. A church of suffering people, but they suffered because of their testimony, not because of self-infliction. A church of sounding out people, each one, no matter how big or small the pebble, casting their testimony out and watching the ripple effect of it. A church of separated people in a positive way, turning to God from idols. And then the seventh characteristic would be in verse 10, the second coming servant, a church of second coming people. Here's what it says in verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, was delivered us from the wrath to come. When I was growing up, we lived on top of a hill. And um, there was a, a curve in that hill. As, as you came up that road, it was kind of in a rural area. And as you came up that road, you would see headlights coming up that hill. And then they would curve and turn toward our house. My parents would oftentimes leave us three boys there on top of the hill at that house. And oftentimes we would kind of get carried away. We liked to wrestle. We liked to fight. We liked to tussle. And we would get a bit carried away. And uh, something my younger brother learned, I was the oldest, I had another brother, and then I had my younger brother. And something my younger brother learned was this. He would, if we started picking on him too badly, jump up on the kitchen table that was in the corner of our kitchen and look out and say, I see the lights. And boy, when he would say, I see the lights, we'd start making peace. Because we would think, oh my, mom and dad are coming up that hill. He sees the lights. We better make sure we make everything right, straighten everything up, or we're going to be in trouble. And you know something? When we talk about our Christian life and we talk about the second coming of Christ, we need to see the lights. That's, that's a characteristic of a good second coming servant's church. We're looking for the lights. We're looking for his coming. Why? So we can clean things up and get things ready. So we can make peace and not be ashamed when they actually pull in the driveway and come into the house. This is the second coming servant's church here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And obviously, in these chapters in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see a lot more about this second coming because every chapter ends with it. But we're not going to look at all that today, are we? You know, Ray had the right idea when he came to Marysville, Ohio. I am a Christian. I have been saved. My wife is saved. Our children are young, but we want to see them saved. And we know in order to do that, we need to find the right kind of church. 
a second coming church that we as servants can serve in. A church of saved people, a church of serving people, a church of sincere people, a church of sounding out people, a church of suffering people, a church of separated people, and a church of people looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those are the characteristics that we need to see in our churches today. Next week, as we meet, Lord willing, we're going to take a look at chapter 2 and see what kind of pastors should be in these churches. But today, we're just looking at the church as a whole, running through the checklist, and asking ourselves the question, are we a part of a church like this? And if not, why not? This has been from the Pastor Study with Pastor Martin Macedo. You may email me at macitofhm at gmail.com, M-A-S-I-T-T-O, FHM for Bell Helpers Ministries at gmail.com. Lord willing, we'll post another Bible study next week. But remember, there's no better way for the second coming servant to wait for his Savior's return than to be a part of a good Bible-believing and Bible-teaching local church. Are you a part of one? I trust so. And if not, I hope you'll get involved. And if you're, if you're in one and not involved, I hope you will be involved. Because there's a lot of blessing helping the church fulfill these seven characteristics as they wait for the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening, and I trust you have a great day.